Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why do they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the uh, women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. This is Alyssa, and as a triathlete, I am all about efficiency. That's why I'm excited that VeloFix is now a part of the Live Feisty community. VeloFix is North America's largest mobile bike shop fleet, and they know that your most valuable asset is time. VeloFix will meet you wherever you are at in your day so you don't miss a beat. Or if you have some time, you can hang out in the mobile bike shop and enjoy a complimentary cup of coffee to learn about the service being done. Interested? Here's how it works. Head to VeloFix.com or call 1-855-VELOFIX, set your appointment, and the local VeloFix technician will come directly to you. Book your service today using promo code FEISTY so they know you're an Iron Women listener. The first 100 listeners to book today using promo code FEISTY will receive a major tune for the price of a minor tune. Again, that's VeloFix.com and promo code FEISTY to enhance your bike service experience today. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Well, we're recording this week about a week out from Halloween. So do you have your Halloween costume ready? Costume is a big ask. I have my Halloween decorations ready for sure. That one I can handle a little bit better. I don't know if I'll do a whole costume this year. I mean, last year I had a little pumpkin carving shindig at my house. Um, and that's more my style. I don't I don't know if I can do the whole costume thing. Are, are you? Do you have a costume already? Unless my costume 
involves my race outfit and the pack that I'm wearing for my next race that I'm doing. No, because that is like all I've been wearing lately. That is all I've been thinking about. I actually have some Halloween decorations. Like I have this really cute little pumpkin that's electric that you plug in and it lights up. And I'm like, oh, that's like fall and Halloween-ish. And it's literally sitting in arm's reach into my closet that I have been too tired to even take that box of like fall decorations down. And I th- I've thought about it a lot, but I'm like something else always like the sitting or the workouts, obviously everything else has just taken precedence. That's like kind of the state of my life right now. I can imagine because you are only about a week out from race day. And before we were recording, I, I was trying to remember the name of your race and I called it the ultra trail del Texas, which I know is not <laughs> correct. So can you tell us what race you're doing? Remind me, remind us all of our listeners. I'll still give you a laugh for that because it is quite clever and it makes me laugh when I think of it that way. I'll be thinking of that for the whole time I'm out there. It is called the Trans-Picos Ultra. It is a self-supported stage race, so something entirely different than I have ever done before. Um, Six days in Big Bend Ranch State Park in Texas and self-supported means you start with everything that you need for the six days on your back. And that is how you go through the six days of running for 165 miles total. So you carry all of your food. They do give you water and hot water in the evenings, which is lovely. But um, you're carrying your the stuff you want to be sleeping in, sleeping on. They do set up group tents at night. So that's nice. But um, other than that, like you, you do you and you just carry what you want. I mean, they have mandatory items, of course. But um, there's a there's a lot of like... I don't know, questions that happen. I'm like, should I bring a, a foam roller? Like I would really appreciate, I'm sure like foam rolling at some point, but then am I going to be the one with like a foam roller, like dangling off my back? And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just bring a tennis ball. Cause then like that kind of helps. And if we get bored, we can play catch. Cause we're not going to have cell phones for six days. So like maybe we need some group activities. So then I'm like thinking of group activities. I'm like, should I bring a deck of cards? Like what are we going to do sitting there talking to each other for this long? So Those are the things I'm thinking about these days, Haley. Your thoughts are so different than mine because the first thing that came to my head was like, is candy, would be like candy corn be like superfluous? Like, is that like too much weight for not the right calories? I did not, a foam roller did not cross my mind or being bored. I feel like sleep is going to be the thing you want to do most. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you could like do that where you like rip out pages from a book. (laughs) And so it's like you're minimizing weight, but then you have a little bit of a book to read. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the food, the food is a lot of questions too. And I agree. I've thought, I've definitely thought a lot about candy, but I'm actually part of my breakfast every every morning I've decided is a payday candy bar. So I'll be getting some calories from a candy bar every morning, which I'm hoping will kind of tide over part of my candy addiction that I, that I strongly have. Um, But I've read somewhere that you should allow yourself like three um, luxury items, I guess they're called. So like you do the mandatory gear And then you do three luxury items and then you have to like cut yourself off because otherwise it gets like out, it goes like crazy. And then you have like too much weight to carry. Right. So the only luxury item I'm, well, actually, no, I have two. So I am bringing a pillow, like a blow up pillow. So I'm doing that because I, I feel like that will be important to lay my head on at night and it will double as a little seat if I want to sit on it. And my second luxury item I've decided on is flip-flops, like a pair of like old navy, really thin flip-flops because I'm pretty sure after I run each day, the last thing I want to do is put my feet like back into my shoes or whatever, right? So I have that narrowed down. 
I'm not sure about my third. I think I like I'm keeping myself from picking a third because I don't there's like a lot of options out there. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Maybe you're just a too luxury kind of person, but um, I'm excited. Will we be able to track this race or is it? I mean, it sounds like you're pretty off the grid. We are off the grid, but they do have um, GPS trackers on us every day and there should be a link. So I'll make sure that um, once it gets going, we post somewhere on the Iron Women stuff about it. Okay. Well, we have one more week until uh, you head out. So next week, I will grill you on all the final details. If you figured out that third luxury item, we'll make sure everyone knows it's the Trans Picos Ultra. Not There is no Ultra Trail Del Texas, but this is a qualifier for Ultra Trail Dumont Blanc, the very famous race. So that's one of the reasons why you're doing it. But we'll have all those. Any other questions that people have, they should write into our mailbag ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com if they have questions ahead of time but I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of questions afterwards after you've done it but um but this is intriguing I'm excited for you and Haley one thing I can say that I'm is not a luxury item because it's on it's on the list of things I guess it's like not a mandatory it's a suggested item but I'm calling some of those suggestions mandatory in my packing because I'm an overpacker. So is sunscreen. So I'm actually packing a lot. Well, I'm not packing a lot. I'm packing six um, for each of the six days of the single serving Zelio sunscreen. So I am just making sure that, you know, every morning they'll have some out on course, but I want like the sunscreen I like that I trust that feels good that I can run in on me to start the day for sure. So those little single servings are nice and lightweight. They're easy to carry. They'll fit in my pack kind of anywhere that I do have space. Um, so I'm excited for that. You're not going to like risk like sitting on your pack and like squeezing out your entire tube of sunscreen. That's amazing. That's, that's brilliant. And, and this is a big week for us and our sponsor Zelios because this week Zelios is running a special iron women promotion with 30% off everything at teamzelios.com. We should like, this is like <laughs> Alyssa's, Alyssa's packing luxury item list um, or suggested item list sale. This is a big deal. Yeah, there is no correlation between these things, but it just so happens to coincide, which is very exciting. So if you think you might be in a race where you need some luxury items, or if you're just at home and want some nice luxurious items to keep you smelling good and your hair and body chlorine free, um, use the code ironwomen at teamzelios.com this week, the 24th to the 31st of October for 30% off. It's like a flash sale people. So get on it. Yeah. Chamois cream this time of year. If you're on the trainer a lot, you need some chamois cream or I bet Alyssa, you could probably use a little chamois cream for like underneath that pack that you're carrying for six days. I mean, I bet you could use everything. I bet afterwards you're definitely going to be wanting to use some uh, luxurious shampoo and conditioner. Teamzelios.com can take care of that for you. It smells great. (laughs) Haley, if the long trail taught me anything, it's that chamois cream is helpful when you're not just riding bicycles and on the trainer for that area too. So um, that was... That was one thing I learned from the long trail that I will absolutely be taking to Texas for me. So good reminder on that. Single packs as well. But um, yeah, so... If you didn't catch that, code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com, 30% off for one week only. Thank you to Zelios for uh, promoting our podcast. And thank you to all of our listeners for encouraging Zelios to, co- to keep promoting our podcast. And 
And Haley, so you mentioned the mailbag and people can send in questions at any time to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We have a question this week from our favorite dolphin trainer, which is very exciting. Thanks, Julie, for writing in again. She is doing her first full Ironman on November 2nd, which is excellent. And she's starting to get a little nervous. So she's wondering if either of us have done Ironman Florida, the advice for a first timer on that course and advice for spectators because her family is going to be there and she wants to keep them occupied. Um, and Julie, I actually haven't done Ironman Florida. So, but Haley has, so we have a resident expert. So Haley, what's your take on Ironman Florida? Yes. Lucky you, Julie. I have raced Ironman Florida. I have spectated Ironman Florida. I have spent some time in Panama City Beach, Florida. It's it's one of my favorite race venues. You know, a lot of that is because of how spectator friendly it is. Um, it's a two loop swim. The run is one loop, which or not the run, the bike, <laughs> the bike comes next. I've done one of these before, but um, the bike is one loop, which I think is kind of nice for spectators as well, because I would encourage your family to like go to Waffle House or go get breakfast somewhere in PCB. It's very, you know, it's very logistically easy as a venue. You can walk around everywhere. You're probably staying pretty close to the race venue. So tell them to go get some breakfast. They can follow you on the tracker and, you know, you'll be out there for five hours or so. Um, and then they can watch you on the run. And the run is incredibly spectator friendly. It's two loops. It's completely flat. You're kind of like there's a main street and you're going back and forth along this main street. And then you run into this park and then you come back. So if your family wants to go straight up and down the main street, either running or in a car or on bikes, they are going to be able to see you a whole bunch. Or if they don't want to get out on the course, if they just want to stay in town, they're still going to see you like three times. So I definitely think um, it's a great spectator course. The weather is usually pretty mild and... Um, and as an athlete, I would say be prepared for cooler temperatures in the morning. The morning could be fairly cold. The year I did it, it was a wetsuit legal swim. I don't remember it being that cold. And I know the wetsuit temperatures have changed since then. So I guess you're ready for whatever, but it is an ocean swim, which means salt water. You're more buoyant, but you might get some waves. Um, so if you can get out in the days before and just sort of practice in the water, just get the feel of how the water feels, that's probably a good idea. Uh, and then, the bike is not flat. Like I wouldn't say it's completely flat. I know they've changed the course like slightly since when I raced, but it has some rolling hills. It's really nice. You might have some wind, but it's usually like headwind, tailwind that, and if I remember correctly, we had like a major tailwind coming into town, which made it just very pleasant um, getting off the bike and heading out on the run. And the run again is actually one of my favorite run courses of any Ironman. I mean, just having the two loops breaks it down really nice in your brain and the aid stations are well stocked. I feel like some of them have themes and are very festive and, um, and it's just, I, I think it's a great race venue. So I think you picked a great one and yeah, you're a dolphin trainer. You're going to love the ocean. What am I, I don't even know that part you didn't even need, but good luck, Julie, have fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That, that was a pretty good um, little like tourist bureau commercial for Panama City Beach. I think I'm going to go take my family and sign up for that race when it's a female pro race. It's actually a male, male pro race this year. So, um, Julie, you'll have to watch the, the men race this year while you're while you're out there with them. Yeah, it, it, that, I know. I you think I worked for that tourism bureau. It is. It's a fun race. I mean, it's close to Atlanta. So I always have a little like 
piece of my heart that is there. And, um, you know, there, it, there's more to do than just spring break in Panama City Beach. November is a great time to be in Panama City Beach. It sounds like the perfect place to also begin your off season if it if it starts after um, you hit that finish line. So tell us how it goes and tell us all the activities that you got to. We'd love to hear how it, how it all goes, Julie. And Haley, we do have an interview this week. So we are chatting with fellow pro Liz Bauer and we're talking to her towards the end. Well, I guess it was after she ended the multi-sport um, aspect or the triathlon aspect of her season. She did a few 70.3s this year. And then I raced with her at the big savage challenge, um, in September. And then she kind of was switching gears and she's talking to us as she leads into a swim run race this month. And also she'll be tackling the California international marathon in December. So we talked to Liz about all of that stuff and also her background, which is super interesting. Um, and including how, she kind of transitioned from the short course racing that was super prevalent just a few years ago into 70.3 and iron distance racing um, that she does a little bit more of today. So we'll hear from Liz after a word from the sponsors. The Iron Woman podcast is proud to be supported by Zelio Skincare. Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like myself. I know I can count on their high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest, sweatiest days when I'm racing and training. Have the peace of mind to perform at your best without worrying about your skin and hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without include Sun Barrier SPF 45, Betwixt All Natural Chamois Cream, Swim and Sport Shower Products, and Body Lotion. You can get 20% off at teamzelios.com by using the code IRONWOMEN. Yep, you heard it right. Get 20% off your Zelios order with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com. Earlier this year, our sponsor, Wahoo Fitness, did a huge giveaway here on the podcast. We caught up with Jen Matro, who won the Element Bolt bike computer. Jen, it's been a few months since you won our Wahoo Fitness sweepstakes. How has life been since you became a Wahooligan? Alyssa, is it weird to say that I love my bike computer? The Element Bolt does it all. I can see any metric I need, power, distance, cadence, but I have to say that my absolute favorite feature is how you can enter a destination into the phone app and it will instantly create a route to guide you there with the Bolt. I used that a lot in Nice when I was there for the 70.3 World Championships. Thanks, Jen. We love hearing your feedback. If any of our listeners want to give the bike trainers, bike computers, and heart rate monitors that make up the Wahoo Fitness ecosystem of products a try, head to wahoofitness.com. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, guys. So you recently wrapped up the triathlon portion of your season at the three-day racing extravaganza that is the Big Savage Challenge in Deep Creek, Maryland. You and Alyssa are no strangers to Savage Man, but this year was definitely a twist because it was a three-day event and you had a swim-run event on Friday, an Olympic distance race on Saturday, and then a half distance on Sunday. So what is it about Savage Man that keeps you coming back? Well, so I moved to the area about three years ago. I lived in Texas beforehand, and I had always heard about the Savage Man. So I was like, well, I got to do this. And of course, I had like an 1125 cassette, and I didn't really know how to climb. And I signed up for Savage Man and came out to do kind of like a course preview a few weeks before it. And I was like, oh, my God, what did I just get myself into? But now 
few years later, I love hilly courses. Um, get to train in hilly areas, and that kind of course just like really brings out the best of you. You can't look for a PR or anything like that. It's all about just challenging yourself. Um, also, supporting local races is awesome, and the Kinetic Multisports Group. Everything about the event was just like what you love about triathlon, like people coming together, cheering each other on, doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going. And you're all doing this three-day event and we're all tired, but we're all showing up and just doing the best we can. And let's talk about this for a little bit because I, I didn't get into it too much when I did my race recap here. And so one of the things with Savage Man is the climbing, right? And so I definitely want like to see more women coming out to that event and so Liz, you mentioned that your first time there or like in the training for it, your first time you had an 1125 cassette. I know. So I have never made it up the wall despite my best efforts. I always seem to find the crack at the very end to fall over. And this year I didn't try, um, even, and I though ride an 1132 set cassette on that course now, just to give people an idea. Um, and I think that's, that's definitely big. like the way so to go. 32, 32 teeth on your rear, rear cassette, like the biggest cog. I don't know if that's the so right I term actually have on the to rear get, cassette. Like, yeah. I have like a new, I had to do this for Savage Man two years ago. I got like a new derailleur and you have to get a new chain because the chain has to be longer than the one you normally ride. Right. But if you do these things, like I think it makes uh, the climbing still quite hard, but like much more doable. Um, and so that's always, I actually changed for the three day event. I waited until the last day to put that like those extra gears on and I swapped everything out overnight on Saturday. So I'd have like, you know, I wanted it to feel like magical for the half, but I don't think that really felt that good. But, um, what's your strategy, Liz? And like with, did you, did you attempt the wall this year? I don't know if we even talked about it. Uh, so this year I did not try the wall because to me it didn't really matter. Um, I've have done the event before. And for me, it was like, uh, since there was money involved, <laughs> getting to the finish line was a little more important than any magical brick of getting up the wall. So um, wait, can you tell our listeners what the wall is and, and why that's special? Yeah. So the wall, it's called the Western port wall and it's 31% max gradient. Um, it's, it's pretty short, but the killer thing about it is that it's on cobblestones. So you take any wrong little hairpin and your whole bike goes backwards. If you Google this, you'll see videos of people literally like going backwards on their bikes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a road uh, that is nicknamed the wall. So it's not an actual wall, but it feels like a wall because 31% right. is like, that's super steep. 31% with cobblestones. Have you ever made it up? Yeah. So uh, a couple of years ago when I did it, but so when I climb, like I have the greatest fear of falling that if I'm about to fall, this magical adrenaline just like rushes in and I will take off. <laughs> um, but this year I, I, you know, we're three days in, I got to the bottom of the wall and you're looking up and you see this and I'm just like, Oh, that's not going to happen today. Um, so they have like a little cut through, which is still very steep. Um, and then once you get to the top of the wall, there's actually, it's like a seven mile climb up called little savage Mountain. And that's just killer. So if you do this 31% and you push out 400 watts or something, you could just tank yourself and not even make it up the rest of the, the trip. <laughs> and that's only the beginning of the climbing. And so if you do make it, you get your name on a brick is what I've heard. So you do have your name on a brick there. Yep. From a couple years ago. <laughs> All right. Alyssa, do you have your name on a brick? 
No, <laughs> I do not have that magical superpower. When I start to feel myself fall, I, I turn into Superman and I Superman off my bike is what happens <laughs> because I get so scared and it's awful. <laughs> do people bring road bikes on this, this course? I feel like it might be a prime candidate for that. I feel like, yeah. most, well, I don't know. It might be split these days with like road bikes versus tri bikes, but there's a lot of road bikes for sure. How many mm -hmm. people make it up the wall? Like how many bricks are there? Is it like a lot or is it like three? Oh, is it like Liz what? and like one other person? It's probably like 30 people a year. I'm not, not a hundred percent on those stats, but I've actually gone to the race and just spectated it too and watched people do it. And it's a lot of fun just to go watch. One time a guy was going up and there's like a little area that like you can just like slow down and get ready to rev your engine. And right when he went off, his shoe unclipped. And so he had one foot in and he went up the whole wall with one foot clipped in and everyone was just like, go, go, go. It was awesome. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. I might have to check this out one of these years. Although I don't know if I'm a prime candidate for, for making it up. I don't know. I don't think I've ever ridden anything that steep, but good job, both of you. I think if you have an 1132, it's definitely beneficial. Yeah, it's totally doable. And I think, <clears throat> I think people just get very intimidated from the stories, but you just have to remember that triathletes love to exaggerate. There is a detour, which is totally fine. And I'm very proud of taking that. And I probably will continue to take it from here on out <laughs> when I raise Savage Man. Um, but Liz, back to the questions for you. So in 2012, you qualified for your pro card. And shortly after that, you put your career on hold to pursue the sport of triathlon. And I know that we discussed it and you mentioned how your mom couldn't believe that you were going to like leave your job opportunity to do triathlon, um, which was definitely something that I could relate to in my own story of going pro and pursuing triathlon. So can you tell us a little bit about that decision and your advice for other women out there who are contemplating making the leap? Yeah, definitely. So when I got my pro card, I was actually more into the short course race scene. They had high V and lifetime and all these great series out there. So it was really easy to make more of a living. And I say that if you race long course and you race it well, you, you can make a decent amount of money, but it's still hard. Um, but the short course races, you could race more often and just have more opportunity. Um, so that was right at the, when I was finishing grad school. So I had all these job opportunities, but I just felt like you know, it was kind of like follow your heart. And I felt like that was where it was telling me to go. I just wanted to see what I could do. And it didn't mean that I wasn't going to come back to work or wherever it was going to lead me. I just, I wanted to push myself and see how well and how fast I could race. I also kind of felt like, you know, I can race with these girls. So why not go do it? Um, when I was growing up as a child, I always thought, wow, it would be so cool to be a professional athlete. And then here I was like, I have this chance. So, so I went for it. And, and that leads us into our next question, which we're actually going to get you to help us with a mailbag question that, that goes along with those lines. It's about, you know, going pro or not going pro. And, and Alyssa and I will weigh in on this as well. But the question is, there's a lot of reasons that an age group athlete may choose to race as a pro or not. And our listener can relate to a lot of those because she's in a position where she's deciding what field she's wanting to race in in 2020, presumably age group versus pro. 
So she says that she wants to take her pro license to challenge herself, to go all in, to grow the women's field, inspire others to do the same, which sounds a lot like Liz's story here. But one of her biggest hurdles is finding a team or sponsors. And this particular listener has, she's raced uh, actually in the DC area. So you're, you're, you're neck of the woods. But since then she moved to Hawaii and she's having trouble finding teams that would want to have a rookie pro who is, you know, possibly finishing toward the back of the pro field versus the same athlete who as an age grouper would stand on the podium, qualify for Kona, qualify for 70.3 worlds. So what, what do you think about that? I mean, you've, you've done this somewhat recently and you've seen this transition from short course, you know, as we got rid of the short course, non-drafting racing now where everyone pretty much has to race 70.3 or Ironman distance as a pro, you know, what, what, what would you, advice would you give to her on that? Should you go pro or should you stay age group? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first thing I thought of when you said about the sponsor thing is that racing as a professional doesn't usually mean you're the fastest. I think the greatest aspect of having a sponsor is that connection you have with them. What they're, what, what can you do for them? Um, because there's going to be bad days when you go to race and you, you don't want to get dropped by them just because you have a bad bike ride or something like that. So really seeking those people that are going to support you. I think starting with even smaller businesses where maybe they can't give you a salary, but you could ask them for like support to a single race and like start it there and see if this builds throughout the years. Um, and then definitely, again, kind of asking yourself, why do you want to race pro? Is it just so that you can have those perks or is it because you want to challenge yourself? Are you going to be okay with, say, if you come last out of the water, biking alone, how will that mentally affect you? I think that if you're ready for that, there's no reason not to, as long as you're kind of like, I know my first pro race, I was, I just got like swept away in the water. And I was last and I was very discouraged when I finished because I thought that, oh, wow, I'm going to do this. And then I sucked. <laughs> um, I think that everyone kind of has that learning curve. And I think if you're just like mentally ready to handle those situations, then there's no reason not to. I know we like to, we want equality in women's racing. So we want to push females who have strengths. And maybe it's not across the board. Maybe it's you're a good biker or you're a good runner and putting them together into professional triathlon. Um, as long as you're, you know, maybe you're not going to be making money with this, but there's no reason not to. We should have Liz come on and answer all of our mailbag questions with us, Haley. That was excellent. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and I think too, like one thing I'll just add and Liz, you can say if your experience has been the same, but I think like you said, a lot of people think like they associate the going pro with like having sponsors or like you have to, you know, have a team or sponsors. And I think if you look back at a lot of people's careers, like I know I was purchasing like pretty much everything in those early days, you know, because I didn't want just a discount and I didn't want to like have to have that weight on my shoulders of like, okay, I have to tweet this many times or post these things on Facebook for a 20% discount, you know, but 
what I did do was I was buying products and I was letting those companies know, like I was using them and I really liked them enough to be buying them and that kind of thing. And then from there, I think a lot can grow. Like as you do develop in your racing and as you know, the company sees that you can potentially bring value within your community or your online presence or something like that. But I think, um, you know, like you, you mentioned the prize money isn't really enough to support people for the most part. And certainly not like the, the way that the sponsorship market is right now. Um, you definitely like, that's not going to support you either. So I think looking like intrinsically and what, where your heart is and stuff like that is going to take you further than just really frustrating yourself trying to, you know, find money where there might not be any money at this point, just the way the economy is. And I'd chime in, you know, because what, how Liz answered the previous question, you can always try things. You know, I think that taking your pro card, it doesn't mean that you're a pro for the rest of your life or that you have to like, it's up or out, you know, it's, you can even try it in the season. So to our listener, I mean, if you wanted to race the first half of 2020 as an age grouper and then take your pro license, I mean, assuming you're USAT, you know, United States athlete, because I'm, again, I'm not familiar with other countries, but you could take your pro card and race 170.3 this time next year as a pro See if you like it. If you hate it, go back to racing age group in January, 2021, you know, cause I think it, it is based on a calendar year. So try it. I don't, I mean, there's no harm in that. All right. Well, seven years after you took your pro card, Liz, um, professional triathlon has changed a lot in a lot of ways. One of them being that short course racing has, you know, all, but pretty much <laughs> gone away for pros. Um, and so you have been an athlete that's transitioned into 70.3 and Ironman. And you've also in that time returned to your day job as a meteorologist. So can you tell us a little bit about that evolution for you? Yeah, so actually it was right around the five-year mark. One, I had been using a lot of my savings. Uh, but two, I actually did miss the scientist side of me. And so I started looking back into the job field and I am now happily working at the Maryland American Meteorological Society, and I work in education and content for teachers to be able to teach meteorology. And we are going to get into more meteorological, is that a, I hope that's a word, um, specific <laughs> questions um, in a little bit, but I do want to ask about, you, you had a little, uh, I guess a little detour in there somewhere in 2011, you took a position with USA Triathlon to become mm -hmm. a collegiate commissioner. So yep. you organized many, many regions first round of the regional championship races for college triathlon, and you filled in the missing link between some of the other schools. So th that year, um, there were 16 schools that went to collegiate nationals for the first time ever. And I think you also coached for the Texas A&M triathlon team. So, yeah, so I'm really curious. So 2011, we've seen a lot change in collegiate triathlon since 2011. So what do you think about the state of collegiate triathlon right now? Yeah, so this is super cool to see evolve into a collegiate sport. Um, I wish that I, I mean, I got to do collegiate triathlon, but it was just the club level and I would have died to have done it as an actual collegiate team um so when i was in grad school they had the usat collegiate commissioner position open up and um, i mean i love anything triathlon related business related 
Uh, so I was like, I want to do this. Sounds cool. And I kind of like revamped the whole collegiate commissioner um, duties and set up regional championships, got the national championships, like, so you had to qualify for it. And now it's evolved into they even have some ITU racing, some relays, different different events at collegiate nationals. Um, along the way, I helped to draft the position to get that Division One Title Nine for the women's. And I wasn't like the lead author on it or anything, but I was definitely there to push it along and to see it evolve into where it should be now is just so awesome. And do you think that we're moving in the right direction, like developing the sport for younger athletes? Like, do you feel like the club system and the, you know, division one teams and everything like that are going to develop athletes for what triathlon is outside of college, right? Which isn't a huge short course thing, you know, I guess I've, I've struggled with, with that when I think about it, because I just don't know, you know, if we're giving them the full picture of the state of triathlon as an adult. Right. So I've never really thought of it that way. And maybe it was because I used to race short course so much and there was more opportunity to race short course. Um, I think just as a collegiate athlete in general, you want to have fun. And I even noticed like the kinetic multi-sport race Savage Man had a collegiate wave. And so the, the sport may be getting longer in distance, but they're still going to have that team feeling if you're traveling to a race together. And I think that the way that it's structured right now, they're not going to forget about that. I know that, say, for example, in the running scene of things, parents who push their mainly daughters too early, a lot of people have drawbacks on, are you going to injure them or they're going to drop out? They're not going to want, want to run anymore. I feel like triathlon is almost a little different because there's the three sports. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm, I'm all for NCAA athletics and, you know, getting kids into sport and as a healthy lifestyle, it doesn't mean you have to become a pro triathlete. It doesn't mean you have to do Ironman, but I love it mm -hmm. as setting those, that groundwork to hopefully love the lifestyle and love the sport and love the health aspect and maybe carry that into your life as an, you know, an adult, even if you aren't doing Ironman, that's my personal stance. Yeah. yeah. And your point about the collegiate wave actually a savage man is really good because, um, those athletes definitely like Saul, right. I think a lot of them were sticking around to volunteer on the third day too. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, they definitely saw like there is kind of another thing going on with the longer, you know, race on Sunday. So I guess in that sense, there's hopefully a lot going on, like in the local scene, um, that, you know, getting more involved in, in those local races we can be a part of. Yeah. And Liz, going back to meteorology, I, I have a weather related question. So triathlon is a very weather dependent sport and we're, we're outside and often near a large body of water. But in the past couple of years, we've seen a ton of races modified or even canceled because of what seemed like extreme weather events. So just off the top of my head, I can think of the hurricanes that hit race venues in North Carolina and Panama city beach, Florida, 
Um, swims were canceled due to flooding in Chattanooga and Waco last year. Wildflower has had issues due to the drought in California and internationally. We've seen algae blooms canceling swims in Germany and record temperatures across Europe. So, I mean, I feel like I could go on and on. So am I overreacting or does it seem like the crazy weather that I might notice because of races could be a sign of something bigger? Yeah, you're spot on with that. Um, I mean, climate change is real and we can't deny that. Uh, the Basically, this is stemming from an uh, increase in CO2 emissions and the climate is warming and it's just causing extreme weather all over. So it's not even that it's hotter temperatures. On the other side, we're seeing even colder temperatures when we're talking about cold weather. Um, so we're going to see this over the course of anywhere in the country. You're talking about greater precipitation, stronger hurricanes, typhoons, even just a basic thunderstorm. It's going to be escalated even greater. And is there anything that you think race directors or race organizers could be doing to mitigate the weather events that could affect their races? Well, I, I mean, they can't really change the weather. I think some really good things to do would be to always have a backup plan when they're planning these races. Like, not that they want to make two courses when they're designing the course, but maybe just like already having that set and ready to go. Um, choosing areas of bodies of water that are typically generally clean or um, like lakes are usually a better option doesn't mean we still couldn't get algae blooms but that's no I know every race director can't choose their area based off of that but something to consider if a new race wanted to come out another thing would be to get in contact with their local weather person because the local weather person is going to know the the weather for the area better than just looking at weather.com and, and Liz, we are, we're doing this interview on October 1st. So, and I'm sitting in Bozeman, Montana, and I did a run today in snow, which isn't <laughs> completely unheard of for, for Montana, but it's early. I mean, we had snow like two days ago, so we have late September snow and I didn't even get hit as hard here in Bozeman as other parts of the country. So when my neighbor across the street tells me global warming, you know, a climate change, it's not real. We have snow in September. We have snow in, in May and June. How do I respond? What's the proper response? Do I just say, okay, you're uneducated and just go on with my day and not let it affect me? Or is there a good response? I mean, this can also be climate change as well, because the severe weather's coming even earlier in the year or staying even later in the spring. I know that Kona is coming, so I even took a little 10-day forecast peek to see what, what it was predicting, and the forecast shows storms, but 10 days out is still a long way, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> And actually, you know, you queued this right up because we did talk to Anna Lydia Borba on the podcast for kind of a Kona preview. And she mentioned that Kona might be staying cooler and with more favorable racing conditions because of the changes on Mauna Kea. So do you know anything about that in particular? And like, can you provide any insight to 
future Kona qualifiers? Like, are the years going to get easier because it's just going to keep getting cooler and cooler over there? So I really doubt that. Um, (laughs) There's so much that can affect the Hawaiian weather. And so the thing with weather is what we're experiencing right now, whereas climate is that long-term annual variations. So last year in Kona, we saw this amazing day. And I'm not kidding. That week, like every day, I was like, oh my God, they're going to have like the most perfect day ever. And I went running that morning before the swim started. And I was like, they are going to have no wind and it's going to rain and they are going to be so happy. But there's still offsides to that because then it was really hot in the energy lab because it did not rain back near the race event. And they so they were cool on the bike and had great fast bike times, but then died on the run. (laughs) Um, I can't tell you what's going to happen in 10 days, but I pretty sure that it's still always going to be hot of some variation whether that is hot and dry or hot and humid and then the wind variation rain storms whatever happens you just have to consider that just because one year it wasn't a good year the variation is going to change and there it's it's definitely a hard thing to predict so um you mentioned Mauna Kea Um, Mauna Loa, which is one of the other volcanoes, actually has one of the oldest CO2 observatories in the world, and it's been collecting data since 1958. So right now, I actually even have the page pulled up, the Mauna Kea is detecting, or I'm sorry, Mauna Loa is detecting 409 parts per billion CO2. Um, two years ago, it was only at 400. So even just in two years, it's gone up 10 parts per billion. And that is a lot. So um, these things are happening. And we definitely need to be aware of them. So, so you're telling us it Kona's not getting significantly easier in the next couple of years. We, we I mean, that's the wrong word. But um, but I um I am curious what what weather you know this this episode is going to come out after the race so we're looking at Kona 2020 and beyond but what websites and weather websites what wind websites do you suggest people look at for accurate data for for Hawaii or for any race is there something you can do to kind of like brace yourself for any race day weather events <laughs> I think we all drive ourselves insane by using the little Apple weather on our phones um, because it will show rain, but that will show rain even if it's just like a 10% chance of rain (laughs) and it doesn't tell you when it's going to rain. So um, if you go on to National Weather Service, they will have your local weather stations and you can go there, click on wherever you'd like to look at. Um, Another one, I mean... I use weatherchannel.com, but I use the app, not the Apple app. And there's various other sites out there, such as AccuWeather. Really, I, I, like I said again, go to the local, the local source. Okay, Liz. Well, we want to get back to you. And so now that you've answered all of our science questions for the episode, <laughs> um, you have a few goals on tap for the fall. And one of them is coming up this month in October, the Odyssey Swim Run in North Carolina. So 
What was it about this event that drew you into it? Well, swimming and running are my favorite parts of the triathlon. <laughs> so I've always been, I've definitely been curious. I have quite a few athletes that I coach and also friends who are into the swim runs and they always tell me great stories about them. I think maybe because I've never done one, minus the little Savage Man prologue, uh, there's this whole like new aspect of racing to me. So like I don't have the pressure on myself yet. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go do this swim run and don't know how long it's going to take me and don't know what's going to happen. But I feel like maybe I could like it a lot and start to get really competitive. <laughs> but it is cool to see these new types of races pop up that could give us more opportunities of racing. I'm curious to see how you like it too. I've never done a swim run race, but I, I admit that they, they pique my interest. But another event you have coming up this fall is a, you're running the California International Marathon in December. And I, I believe you've actually worked in several marathons during your professional career. Uh, and speaking of weather, I think you even ran Boston, like in 2018 when it was like crazy downpour. Um, so, so what, I mean, you can tell us a little bit about that race because it was amazing, but I do want to ask about if you have like a favorite running workout that you use for marathon training. Hmm. So uh, I'm coached by Matt Hansen and he's known as the running man. <laughs> so I feel like any workout he gives me is like, you better do this and you do it well. He's really big on a 20 miler with the last six miles where you drop down to race pace. Um, another one that we do, he calls it kilometer workouts. And I don't really know where he got this from, but it's like a 1K, then 1K recovery, 2K, 2K recovery, 3K. And you, you gradually work your way through the ladder, building the paces, and then descending down. And it, it ends up being like a 19 mile run, which. Those are pretty big, but I honestly, I find that the best thing to marathon training is the consistency. So Matt actually won't give me very many 20 mile runs, whereas I have a lot of runner only friends and I feel like they're running 20 miles like every weekend. Whereas Matt will be like, no, 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 just, just wait. We'll do this like two weeks before the race. <laughs> That's interesting. And probably a good way that you can kind of keep marathons like interspersed with triathlon. Cause you don't have to, you know, especially if you want to race halves and stuff like that, you might not have to like overload mileage at that point just to be getting in marathon work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm really excited for this marathon because I already went through the triathlon season. So like I'm starting my marathon build with fitness. Whereas most of the times when I do a marathon build, I'm coming out of either like the off season or taking a break. So um, the last marathon I ran, I came out of off season, but then I had like a little injury. So I only had like an eight week build. So I'm like, okay, well, if I can do better than that, then I've got to run faster. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited to see, see how you do. And, you know, I think it, it's pretty cool that you're able to mix it up and do some of these swim run events, run a fast marathon and, and hopefully still come back to the swim bike run with a kind of refreshed um, sense for, for the sport and it, it makes you like miss the bike, right? Then it's like, oh, I miss the bike. I miss going exactly. fast. I miss, you know, putting in those <laughs> long miles and seeing places. And, um, what do you have those like apple donuts around DC, right? Like that's what you guys always go uh -huh. ride. You always go. Ride. Yes. I'm always <laughs> jealous of those. So, so you'll be back out there. <laughs> 
We're actually having those at our wedding. I'm getting married in May, and we're giving apple cider donuts to everyone. Oh, that's awesome. Haley, I'm surprised you knew about that. I thought it was like a, a secret <laughs> of the, <laughs> the area. You got to come out and try them. I know everything. Everything food, like junk food related is like my jam. <laughs> but um, um, Well, thank you so much, Liz. Thank you for, for sharing some insight on climate change, which I love, and your own professional career. Um, it's, you know, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thanks, guys. It was really nice to talk to you. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Hey, Alyssa, I'm excited that Liz is going to be at the California International Marathon this December because do you know who else is racing? Um, Des Linden? No, me! (laughs) (laughs) I think Des Linden's doing, she's already, wait, isn't she doing New York? Yeah, she's Um, racing New York. (laughs) It was like slightly less exciting. (laughs) Haley Chura will be racing. they keep listening so (laughs) Haley this is exciting news for our listeners and quick tidbit we'll talk about this a little bit more next week but in one word how would you describe marathon training so far tiring (laughs) but I hate complaining about it to you because you're doing a six day race with a 25 pack (laughs) so I will uh yeah I'm tired though too but maybe misery loves company it doesn't matter we can we can share in the tiredness together don't worry be calling Liz and asking about the weather leading into it because you know she's going to be watching and she probably has all the best sources so I'm hoping for great weather in Sacramento in December but maybe she could give you maybe we should ask her to give you a weather forecast for your six days at, in Texas too. I know I guess there's not really I mean hopefully it doesn't change because once we're out there I'm not going to get any any news about it changing um, but all of our Iron Women fans will be definitely supporting it's December. What day is CIM? December 8th. Um, so we'll, we'll keep a little list of the iron women people that you can, you can track running that day, but Haley Chura, um, definitely will be rooting for you. That's exciting news. So I'm excited about this. Thanks, Alyssa. And if anyone isn't a member of our Patreon community, check that out at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. And we are very thankful for everyone who does support us there. Small subscription fee goes a long way toward motivating us to bring you great interviews each and every week. So thank those of you who are members. And if anyone else is looking to join, again, that website is patreon.com forward slash live feisty. All right, Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.